You're listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. continuing to look in uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, we've kind of really been peering into the lives of men and women who have provided us with just some awesome examples of what it is really to have biblical faith operating in their lives. And throughout this series, we've really been kind of hammering home the point that each person in Hebrews 11 that we've been looking at, every one of them have heard a word a promise, maybe it came as a command from God um, that they acted upon and they heard. And that's what faith is. Faith is acting upon what we hear God saying by way of a word, a promise, or a command. Uh, For faith to conceive, for it to grow, for it to increase, it has to be responding to a word, a promise, a command from God. The other interesting aspect of this series is kind of what was in the video, is how God really uses very ordinary men and women to do extraordinary um, parts of his plan and, and, and work. Sometimes we read the Bible and we think all of the people outside of Jesus Christ were kind of, you know, these, these people were, you know, super saints. Uh, these people, man, they had it all together. They never made any mistakes. And if you read the Bible, I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. True, some were more spiritually mature, kind of had their act together, were maybe less prone to mistakes and failures, whereas some people God used, I mean, they were just downright rascals. I mean, they, they were deceivers, they were adulterers, they were liars, some of them, some of them were cheaters, some committed murder. I mean, today's character is a great example of kind of what we're talking about here. Today's character is someone most of us, if not every one of us in this room, would have just written off and said, here is a person with a background, with a history, that that there's just no way God could ever use a person like this. Her name is Rahab, and she's a prostitute. And yet, despite her moral shortcoming, God uses her, and she just goes on to become this great example of faith. So great, as a matter of fact, she kind of makes it into the hall of fame there in Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, Rahab kind of goes from the hall of shame to the hall of fame, all by faith in the mercy and grace of God. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, it says this, by faith, again, Rahab hears something, because that's what faith does, faith hears, okay, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So right there, that phrase says, by faith, Rahab, Rahab heard a word, a promise, or a command from God. By faith, Rahab the prostitute, they didn't want you to forget that, okay, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Again, because of something Rahab hears concerning God and her response to what she hears, Rahab's faith saves her and her entire 
family. But before we get into her story this morning, let me tell you who I think this message is for today. It's for all of us, okay? Let me tell you who's really going to connect with this this morning, okay? It's all of you today who have a past that maybe you're not too proud of, or maybe you kind of hear and you just kind of got one of those questionable reputations. You have a past, maybe people don't know about your past, you've done a really uh, good job of keeping it covered up. Uh, some of you may have a past you hope your spouse never finds out about. Some of you may have a past you just hope your employer never finds out about. Some of you have a reputation uh, and, and you know people know all about it and, and it's just embarrassing to you. I mean, some of you are sitting here this morning thinking, man, if my wife, if my husband, if my boss ever finds out about my past, it's over. And you know, uh, in, in the minds of some of your friends, you know, you, you may be kind of John the blank and you just kind of fill in the blank. I mean, maybe John the drunk, you know, or, or, or you know, Donna, you know, the, the, the stripper. I mean, whatever that past may be. You have something associated with your name, kind of like Rahab the prostitute, and you have a past, you have a reputation, and you kind of maybe have just spent your life kind of trying to distance yourself and to run from that. And because you have a past, a reputation, a negative reputation, maybe your relationship with God, because of that, it's just very, very complicated, or you just simply have just kind of chosen to disconnect and ignore God, feeling hopeless of how to fix it or to bridge this gap between you and God. You may be here this morning. You may believe there's a God. You may believe there's a heaven. There's an afterlife. You may even have some, you know, thoughts concerning Jesus. But again, because of some of the things in your past, your reputation, things may be associated with your name or something about your lifestyle, whenever you kind of start thinking about God or church or Christians, there kind of just comes this distance between you and God. And basically what happens is we kind of just stiff arm God because of our past, because of a maybe, you know, soiled reputation. You stiff arm God because you just can't connect him with your past. You can't just seem to kind of get him past your reputation. And there's something in you that kind of just says, if I can ever just get my life together, if I could just ever become the person I know God wants me to be, if I could just become a more righteous person, if I could just become a, a holier person, if I could just kind of build a platform of self-righteousness and good deeds, then maybe I could connect with God. Maybe I could even go on to pray like Pastor Jim. Huh? If that's you and you're here this morning, can I give you some good news? Your sin in your mind may have distanced you from God, but your sin doesn't distance God from you. Your sin, it may have distanced you in your mind, from God. But your sin doesn't distance God from you. And I hope by the end of this message, some of you will identify maybe with Rahab 
and identify with what God has done with her and realize that maybe, perhaps, God's grace, his mercy, his goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness, just as it was for her, that it can be that way for me. And just to realize that God's mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his goodness, his kindness, it is an invitation to sinners. It is an invitation to people like you and me with a past, maybe with a shady reputation. Joshua 2 is kind of where Rahab's story begins. And here's how the story goes. Moses is dead. If you've kind of been with us through the series, you know, we've kind of just been every week kind of building and building and kind of building off the previous weeks. And last week we kind of talked about Joshua. Moses died. Joshua kind of comes in and he assumes the mantle of leadership over the nation of Israel. And God says, Joshua, you are now in charge of Israel. Moses is dead. He's no longer here. And so he says, you are now leading this great nation. So they're camping by the River Jordan, they're about to cross over, and they're going to invade Canaan. And God has told them, I want you to go in, I want you to destroy these people, okay? They have had chance after chance after chance, generation after generation to turn to me, to repent, and they've rejected me, they have rejected my ways, Uh, they will not turn from their wicked ways, Uh, they just continue to worship false gods and idols. So Joshua very wisely selects two men, and he sends them into Canaan to kind of spy out the land. So the first city they go to in Canaan is the city of Jericho. Now, we talked about that last week, and we talked about those fortified walls that kind of surrounded Jericho. They're about six feet thick and about 12 to 17 feet high. Now, somehow, these two spies are kind of able to penetrate those fortified walls. They get into Jericho, and they're kind of just sneaking around the city, and they're just spying it out. And somebody sees them. And so they kind of just duck into a house along a wall to hide. Now, once they get inside the house, they realize they have ducked inside the house of a woman Uh, who is a prostitute, and her name happens to be Rahab. And it's not just her home. In in biblical times, these were kind of called lodges, and they were lodges that kind of provided certain kinds of services, if you get my drift, okay? So once they're inside the lodge of Rahab, they're kind of having a conversation with Rahab, and uh, Rahab kind of recognizes these men are not Canaanite. Okay, she discovers in the conversation they're Jewish, they're from the nation of Israel. So rather than turning them in, she says to these guys, you know what? We knew you were coming. We've heard you were coming. I've got to hide you. And so Rahab takes them way up onto the top part of this lodge, and there she kind of hides them under some flack. Now, there is a knock on the door, so Rahab, she goes, and she answers the door, and there are a couple of soldiers there, and they say to her, we have heard that there were two men from Israel who came in here, and we want you to bring them to us right now. 
And Rahab tells the soldiers, yeah, they were here, but, you know, right before sunset, um, before the gates were locked, they kind of left town. And, and if you hurry, you might just be able to catch them. So Rahab kind of sends these guards off on a wild goose chase, and she kind of goes upstairs to where she's hidden these men, and she kind of continues the conversation. So in Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, it says, before the spies, the two spies that were from Israel, went to sleep that night. Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. She said, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight against you after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now, I mean, she's just made some incredible faith statements in there. In other words, she says, you know what? Your God is bigger. He is greater than our God. And I believe I choose to serve your God. She says, as a matter of fact, I have more confidence in the two of you and your God than I have in this entire city with its army, its king, and its military history. This is, again, her faith is being expressed here. It's being manifested in what she believes about the God of Israel. Now, how she knew all of this is not really clear. But she knows she believes what she has heard about the God of Israel. Again, this is that manifestation of faith. She hears something concerning the God of Israel, God Almighty. And she believes and she puts her trust in what she has heard. Again, this is the manifestation of faith in Rahab. Again, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. She heard something about God and she believed it was true. Rahab continues uh, in verse 12. She says, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you, give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all of their families. So she kind of makes a deal with them. And they say, you know what, Rahab, because of your kindness, because of your faith in our God, when we get here to invade the land, we are going to spare you and your family. So sure enough, the two spies return back to the camp uh, of the nation of Israel. They say to Joshua, hey, this is our time. We need to go now. So here's what happened. If you jump over into Joshua chapter 6, the army of Israel invades the city of Jericho. And we talked about that last week. Remember, they marched around the walls, the city there, once a day for six days. On the seventh day, they marched around the walls of Jericho seven times, 
blew the ram's horn, the nation of Israel let out a huge shout, and the walls came tumbling down. Now, you got to get the picture here because walls are falling. People are just, it's just chaos in the city of Jericho because they didn't think this was even possible that walls this thick, this high could just crumble. And, I mean, they just crumbled to the, to the point that the nation of Israel is just able to kind of walk up over the rubble into the city, and they just began to destroy it. And so there's just chaos everywhere. There's bloodshed. It's loud. It's burning. There's chaos, pandemonium everywhere. Joshua says in verse 22, he says, then he says to the two spies, keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house, bring her out along with her family. The young men went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the city and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Now, here, here's the incredible picture I just don't know that I can adequately convey. Here is chaos, there's fire, there is blood, there is warfare like we can't even imagine. We've never seen anything like this in our day and age. And yet in the midst of all of this chaos and destruction and pandemonium and fear, God reaches in. In the midst of all that's going on there and says, but I'm going to spare Rahab and her family and get this, not because she's good, not because she's repented, not because she's turned away from her sin, because at this point, I don't even think she recognized that what she was doing, the services she was providing, were even sinful. But God does it because of who he is. And in the midst of the chaos and the pandemonium, God reaches in and he spares Rahab and her family and he sets them outside the camp. Now, here's the thing Rahab and her family discover about this God of Israel that they have just kind of newly professed faith in. That into a city that deserved judgment, which Jericho did into a city that was kind of just filled with idolatry and wickedness, into a city that was ripe with fear. I mean, she said, our hearts have melted. The stories we've heard, I mean, they've generated such fear in our city, into a city where probably nobody was living right. Rahab, chief among them. God reached in. Again, not because of good works or good deeds, but simply because of faith and of his grace and mercy. And God plucked and he pulled out Rahab and her family just like God has plucked you and me out of the midst of our chaos, our messes, and our mistakes. And the Bible says this was so peculiar that when they got Rahab and her family out of Jericho, they didn't know what to do with them. 
They're the enemy. The nation of Israel, they're sent in there to destroy these people. And now they've got Rahab the prostitute and her family. And so the Bible says they kind of just set them outside the camp. They weren't allowed to, to mingle or to live among the Israelites. So they say to Rahab, you can't camp with us. You can't be in our boundaries because the law says so, and so we don't know what to do with you, so we're just going to kind of have you camp over here outside the city because we don't know how to integrate you into our nation. God said you shouldn't have even lived, and now God delivered you and your family. We don't know what to do with you. We're so confused. So God in his grace, his love, and his mercy said, this is really the fruit of faith. Because even though I am the God with rules, I am the God of laws, I am the God of judgment, I'm also the God of grace and the God of forgiveness, and I can't help but be who I am. And part of who I am is I am the God that looks for ways to redeem people with a past. So they can have a relationship with me. Now there's a gap in the story, so I'm just going to fill in the gap for you. They destroyed Jericho, and Israel goes all over the countryside, conquering all of these lands and cities and armies. And meanwhile, poor Rahab and her family. I mean, they just kind of have to pick up Camp Ope. The nation of Israel looks like they're getting ready to move again, so pack her up, and they just kind of move. They have no idea where they're going or how long they're going to stay. They kind of just have to pick up and kind of keep following after and just moving along with the nation of Israel wherever they're going because they can't camp with them because they're not one of them, but God saved them. It's just so confusing. So one day, a guy named Solomon sees Rahab the prostitute. He says, hey, can we have lunch? They have lunch. And then he says, hey, can we have dinner? They have dinner. And before you know it, this guy is in love with Rahab, the prostitute, as a part of her past. Now, again, this this isn't right. This isn't according to the law because he's not supposed to marry someone who's not Jewish. Because God's laws are very, very clear. So here's what happened. Solomon married Rahab. Now, again, you get the picture. There are millions of Jews at this time. Lots of families. Lots of couples. I mean, Solomon could have picked any single woman from among all of these hundreds and thousands of families. God could have picked among hundreds and thousands of single women and said, I am going to bring the Messiah through you and you. I mean, even the line of Judah, God's chosen, there are lots and lots of single women, great choices there. Yet God says, hey, let's use Solomon and Rahab and let's make them part of the lineage to Jesus. Wow. So they got married. They had a son whose name was Boaz, who met a woman and uh, married her. Her name was Ruth. They had a son, Obed, who got married, who had a son named Jesse. And Jesse had a son named David, who became the king of Israel. See, I wouldn't, and probably many of you, wouldn't have even invited Rahab to your backyard barbecue. 
But God says, I am going to make her an integral part of my story. And you know what? If you understand this story, it really is the perfect choice because her story really is a lot like my story and your story. Men and women condemned by God because of what we've done, but saved by God just because he wanted to. And God neither changed his standard, nor does he change his character, but in his grace and in his mercy, he rescues all of us with a past and our present, and he gives to us what we do not deserve. Rahab is a perfect example of God's law and judgment and God's grace and mercy coming together. She is a perfect example of what God can do in our lives when we just hear his word, his promise, and believe that he is more than able to do exactly what he says he will do. It's a perfect story for you too because if you're here this morning and you have a past you're not too proud of and you have used your past maybe as an excuse not to face God, maybe you've used your past as an excuse to remain alienated, to stiff arm God, here's the good news. If God can redeem Rahab from her past, from her mistakes, from her failures, her soiled reputation, he can redeem us as well. The message of God's grace is about God sending his son, not into the world that's got itself together, not into the nation of Israel that's gotten its act together. The message of grace is about God sending his son into a dark, sinful, wicked, evil world that didn't recognize him but desperately needed a savior. That God sent his son into a world that wasn't ready, wasn't even looking that never repented for the most part, that never got its act together. But God, because of his great love for you and for me, sent his one and only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Faith is your response to that message of grace. Here's the great, grace, the great message of grace. Your past and your present will not stay God's hand from reaching and forgiving and loving and accepting you when you simply just repent. You turn to him and you say, God, would you forgive me of my sins? I know that the blood of Jesus was shed for the cleansing of my sin, of my past. See, again, some of you, you've used your past as an excuse to kind of just distance yourself from God. For you, your past may be a problem when it comes to connecting with God, but your past is not a problem for God when it comes to connecting with you. Some of you have kept God's God at arm's length because you're afraid if God ever gets a hold of you, he's going to punish you. Can I just kind of clue you in on something here this morning? If God wanted to punish you, he does not need to wait for you to turn toward his direction and give him your attention. 
You say, if God's direction, if I turn God's direction, he's going to punish me. You need to understand the message of grace is this. The reason God is pursuing a relationship with you isn't to deliver you your punishment. It is to deliver you from your punishment. That's the message of grace. God is not pursuing you to punish you. He is pursuing you to deliver you from punishment. When Christ died for you, he was punished for your sins. And to spend your life running from God, to spend your life using your past, to spend your life using your current situation as an excuse not to connect with God is to flee from the one who wants to forgive you, to redeem you, to save you from the punishment you know in your heart you deserve. Now again, the story of Rahab is such a perfect story of grace and mercy and second chances because it is a reminder that God saves sinners while they're still sinners. God saves those who are enemies of the cross while they're still enemies of the cross, not after they've gotten their act together. It's a perfect reminder that the God that's holy is not so holy that he can't be merciful. And our God who's righteous, he's not so righteous that he can't demonstrate grace. And the God of laws is still the God who can forgive. And he made all that possible. And he brought all that together through the person called Jesus who is in fact your savior and mine. And again, faith is your response to all that God is and to all that God offers you through Jesus Christ. Rahab the harlot, the prostitute. Let me ask you a question. What would be associated with your name? Larry the blank, Janice the blank. What would it be? Do you realize there's enough of a title, there's enough of a past history there's enough of a label to put you and I in the same category as Rahab the prostitute. The Bible says every one of us have sinned, every one of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard. And just like Rahab, you and I were sinners. And in the same way, you are one that God would be willing to rescue, to snatch out if you would just turn in his direction and recognize him for who he is. The story of Rahab, it is a reminder, it is also an invitation. It's a reminder of who we are, it's a reminder of the condition we are in, and it is a re it's an invitation to a relationship with the only one who can do anything about it. Rahab the harlot. This is my favorite part of the story. Rahab the harlot is the great 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 grandmother of Jesus Christ. That's a neat story. If you're here today and your past has kind of been your excuse, you have no needs for excuse. Your sin may be a problem for you, but because of the cross of Jesus Christ, because he went and hung on there and died and his blood was shed for you and for me. It is no longer a problem for God. 
And that is the message, the good news of God's grace and mercy. And when we respond to that invitation, when we respond to that message of God's grace and mercy, faith, biblical faith, I mean, the kind of faith that God rewards is manifested, and that faith will just begin to generate and will begin to produce great fruit in our lives. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.